The evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. A very good afternoon to you. It is the 13th of June, 2022, a very chilly day in Johannesburg, South Africa. Thank you for tuning in. We've had quite a few interesting weeks um, of late. There was a plan for a vanity plague project that was leaked to the public, and the public saw it cancelled through the complete and utter outcry um, that came as a result of this vanity project. We saw a public sector doctor suspended for exposing rampant abuse at a public hospital in Johannesburg. And once again, after public outcry, he was reinstated. Um, an Afrikaans language monument down in the Cape um, was told that they need to remove the name Afrikaans. Now, this was a, a monument erected to celebrate the Afrikaans language being an African language. It was established in the 70s. And again, massive outcry caused government to cause a U-turn. These and many other local examples remind us that our country may be imperfect, but it's not a police state. It's a functioning democracy, one with an actively alive citizenry and often responsive um, representatives and governors. And that today is what we're going to be discussing. We're discussing active community members. We're going to be talking about how we can take ownership of the problems facing our country. Unlike our normal shows where we chat about fraud on a national basis or corruption or, or crimes that have impacted on the national psyche, today we're talking about community-based initiatives to make those closest to us as well as ourselves safer. Joining me in a few minutes, Adrian Chiga. He's the chairman of the Sydenham Sandringham Residents Association. Brian Nathan, a member of that very same association's EXCO. Philip Opperman from IPACA, which is the Alma Park Access Control Association. Eli Michael, also from uh, the Sandringham Sydenham Residents Association. We'll have to get it right. I'm sure I'm going to get Sydenham and Sandringham mixed up during the course of, of today. And of course, Sean Jammy joining us from CAP. I'd like to remind you the views expressed on the show aren't necessarily those of CHI-FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Thank you for staying tuned to High FM Broadcasting Live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM, streaming worldwide on highfm.com. Today, something very close to all of our hearts, and that's community safety and security, something that a lot of us have not been able to take for granted in South Africa due to the high crime rate. Joining me today is the chairperson of the Sydney Sandringham Residents Association, Adrian Chiga, and the head of IPECA, which is the Alma Park Access Control Association, um, which looks after the access control of Alma Park, a suburb of Edenvale, Philip Opperman. And also in the conversation is Eli Michael, who is also from the Sydney Sandringham Residents Association. To kick off, I want to chat to Philip about the processes, the protocols, everything that went into making their area a secure and boomed area and whether they've been able to measure any kind of success in respect of this project. Thanks, Chad. Uh, firstly, Chad, a, a closure is a community-driven project. Um, that's very important, which is then constituted through a constitution. So you've got all your rules and regulations of your, uh, your community closure, there, and then it's got to be approved by council. So it's quite a, it's quite a long and it's, it's an arduous task to get, the, get a, a closure up and running. There's entrance, exits, uh, you've got to start thinking of everything. And for a community to start that, it's a, a bit of a, a mis, 
in the moment they're beginning to understand it. So I think that's what's so important for us today, and that's why we have so many representatives from this particular community, Sydenham, Sandringham, that are going to be embarking on this journey. We want to know about your journey. Was it a success? Was it worth all this arduous work that you've spoken about, getting to the point of where you are now, where you are a boom community? Definitely was a success. And uh, it started off, there's a lot of learning curves that we had, we experienced through the various committees and things that actually ran the closures but uh, I think we've got it prop done properly now uh, very important is your structure your your corporate governance uh, your reporting your your yeah, it's, it's we've definitely seen a major de- a decrease in crime in the in the especially the serious serious and violent crime side you'll always have the the smaller opportunistic crimes but if you can keep those under control then you won't it won't lead to to the major crimes. So a little bit later in the show, we're going to chat to, to Sean Jamie about the procedures that have been followed um, regarding this program and, and who is driving what so that the community members can become more involved. But I want to chat now to, to Adrian. Adrian, as chairperson of this vibrant community, and I was, and I must, I must apologize, I thought it was mainly just the Sandringham area that was included, but I, I've now been told it's also Sydenham that is a, a part of this initiative. What what drove your committee to decide to go the route of of going to the extent of having studies made into this this road closure? Thank you, Chad. I think uh, we had a very interesting experience. I'm a member of the Community Policing Forum, and we get monthly statistics of what's going on. The Policing Forum extends from basically Linksfield all the way through to Alexandra and includes part of Alexandra, which is a scary place to be in at the best of times. And um, it's interesting to compare the crime rates there to ours. Our experience of crime is essentially the occasional uh, home invasion, but mostly opportunistic crime. What we did notice was at the beginning of COVID, when curfews were introduced, not just our experience, I think in the whole of Johannesburg, crime really crashed. The, The rates were right, right down, and that's how it is. We then started thinking about the experience of other suburbs where the claim has been, um, I haven't got statistics to prove it, that by um, fencing in or enclosing an area, one is able to control access, egress, and therefore to limit the amount of crime that comes in. You can never totally wipe it out. I don't believe that's realistic because criminals are, after all, not just opportunistic, but they're pretty intelligent, some of them, and they really do. It's their job. It's their business, you know, and that's what they need to do. So we took, um, I, I must say, you're meeting with two of the guys who are driving it later on. It's Eli and, uh, and Brian. Uh, the deci- decision was taken to start embarking on uh, the process of trying to get this closure done. I do need to point out that our area is particularly large. There's a huge amount of ex- exit points and int- entrance points. So it's quite a complex organizer, quite a complex process to follow. It's not a simple one where you've got two or three main roads or whatever it might be. We've got uh, close to 50 access, ex- access and egress points and main roads. Got a Linksville hospital there, got a school involved. All, com- all make things complex, but we believe that ultimately we'll be able to offer a better solution to our, to our constituency by controlling or at least attempting to control the level of crime that we experience. You made a valid point there that the size is is something that's quite daunting. If one takes a drive and is one is a community member, you don't realize just how big it is. I've been to Alma Park on a number of occasions. I know the size of the community 
is smaller, but I don't know how much smaller. How many households do you have in, in Alma Park? 260, excluding the flats and, and complexes. Eli, do you know the numbers in, in Sydney, Sandringham? Yeah, so approximately 800 to 850 households in Sydney. Plus minus 400 to 450 inside of Sandringham. So, it, again, it's, it's an incredibly ambitious project, but it's one that we as the Residents Association are very much behind. And it's been coming for a long time. I'm saying I've been a resident of uh, Sydney for well over a decade and probably seen four or five different attempts to try and do a project like this. But this was the first time where we, we've been able to get a coordinated effort across the Residents Association together with CAP. Um, to embark on a project like this. If you want to join in the conversation, you can SMS us on 34519. You can tweet us at FM, or if it's your thing, you can send a telegram via 061-895-1019. Getting back to um, you, Adrian, this is this is almost a legacy project for you, I'm sure. We've heard from Eli that people have tried and it hasn't come to fruition, but this is the furthest it seems to have, have gotten to. We're sitting here with five individuals, all who are, which are, are knowledgeable on this, that want to see this happen. Do you have the support of the community? Well, when you say the support of the community, the Residents Association, for obvious reasons, does support that. We believe that although there are some disadvantages, they're far outweighed by the advantages we see coming through. We believe that crime is not going to go away, and I think the majority of our constituency believes that as well. The general impression I have got um, is that there is a level of support which is reasonably high. It needs to be taken a bit further, and um, hopefully we'll be able to pull it off. So, Eli, where are we now if we had to look in the timeline of things? What's happened? What's in the process of happening? What still has to happen? So, from a consent perspective, uh, we are just over two-thirds of the way of what we require to get the requisite number of consents to then start the next uh, process in terms of the application process. Um, you know, from a traffic impact assessment, and sure we'll get into a lot more detail later around the necessary steps that need to be followed, we, we, we almost finished the first major step in the process. Um, now, obviously, the next bit, which I'm sure Phil will be able to give a bit more um, light on is uh, the next steps with respect to the traffic impact, lodging at council. But before we do anything, we obviously need the two-thirds majority coming from the residents of Sydney and Sandringham to embark on that. Again, it's an incredibly costly project, um, and you can't really do those next steps until you make 100% sure that you have all the consents in place. So, okay, we've got Two communities that we, we, we can't really compare apples with apples here. Alma Park is significantly smaller, but they've had to go through the exact same process. The difference is these days, communication makes it easier for you. You guys have had WhatsApp. You've got groups. There's a lot of street groups. There's community-based groups. Phil, how did you get consent from the community, and what were the biggest um, stumbling blocks in respect to objections from members of the community? When we first started... Uh back 2008 I think it was um, it was quite new the concept was quite new there was all these privacy issues you know people didn't want to be asked you know coming in into their neighborhoods uh, that type of thing you know didn't they uh, not all of them but uh, there were there were a small uh, component of, of them that didn't want to an access control but they wanted the benefits of a closure so unfortunately you cannot have a closure 
and freedom. You have to offset the one, but you're going to offset it so that you minimize the amount of, 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 of freedom that is actually impoverished and, by this And by freedom, community. you mean freedom of movement. There has to be some point where people pass through. Correct. You know, some people object to three seconds at a boom. Anybody, I mean, from a, from a, from a criminal's perspective, they don't like a three-second three boom. And if you've got a double entry system where they can be stopped, they don't like it either. So for a community member who's, who's um, living in that area, it's uh, uh, three minutes is nothing. Three to five minutes, uh, three seconds, sorry, I'm not talking about minutes, seconds. Uh, it really adds a lot of benefit. So very interesting. What I took away from what Fuller to say there is people want to have the knowledge that they're safe in an enclosed environment, but they don't want their freedom of movement restricted. Well, can one have one without the other? Well, that's the topic of today's conversation. You can SMS us 34519, tweet us at HiFM. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on HiFM. Today we chat here about the importance of community involvement and taking control and ownership of problems that are experienced within communities. And we're joined by a panel of, I'd like to say, distinguished gentlemen, because they are in their particular fields of expertise. But today their particular field of expertise is that of community enclosures and safety and security. Adrian, who's the chairperson of the Sydney Sanitary Residents Association, has brought us up to speed about this project. I'd like to know from you, um, Adrian, in respect of, and I've, I've been following the groups, in respect of deciding on roads, it becomes somewhat of a, a difficult position one finds oneself in because people don't want to be too far from an access or egress point. There can't be too many access or egress points. How did you go about figuring out a, a map in a manner and fashion that would best service all the community residents? Well, Chad, I think it's a very fair question because, after all, I think that's one of the main issues that runs around enclosure. Uh, and the easiest way to do that is through a traffic study, um, which is really to find out where the, where the traffic really is. And you have to then, it's the old 80-20 rule, you might inconvenience two or three people, but the other 700 or whatever are quite happy to proceed with it. And, you know, as you mentioned before, it's a... It's a it's a, it's a give and take. So technical questions and constitutional questions I want to keep for the second half of the show because there's always people that have an issue where there's some form of restriction on, of movement. And of course, one has to take into consideration the, the historical elements that, that impact on everything that occurs in South Africa because we will always refer back to pre-1994 where there was an impact of movement. Well, Chad, there's another in interesting element and that you have to bear in mind that to a large extent, the Sydenham, Sandringham area has a large number of older people. So one of the considerations one has to actually have is the ability for uh, medical aid or medical help to be able to arrive speedily and uh, effectively. And that's one of the things that has, that has impact on the actual traffic study. Eli, you've been a resident for a decade. In that decade, have you yourself been a victim of any crimes or any friends or family in the area? Yeah, no, so I think... You know, it would be hard for, for me to comment on everyone inside of, of Sydney and Sandringham, but I'm fairly certain that everyone in South Africa has either directly or indirectly through either a close friend, associate or family been impacted by crime. I mean, that's, you know, I don't think that's up for discussion. Mm -hmm. I'm sure the average person would want to make sure that they 
you know, when, when they're at home at night, that they're able to go to bed at night knowing that they don't necessarily have to worry about someone coming in and breaking in. And that's obviously one of the main reasons why we're going ahead or proposing um, that we go ahead with these road closures. But at the same time, there's, you know, there's a lot of other um, benefits that come with the road closures. Um, you know, the redirecting of traffic along certain roads will make other roads a lot quieter. Um, they have seen, and I'm, I'm sure you can mm. speak from your experience, Phil, um, property price appreciation starts mm. to happen. So it's not just one specific reason for doing this. Um, there's a host of benefits that do come with it. So jumping in there, because that was my next question to Phil, mm. is over and above the safety that comes with an enclosed community and lim- I wouldn't say limited access control, but access control. There's control over who has access and egress over the, uh, within the suburb. One thing I've noticed driving in is there's a sense of pride in the community now. People are going in through the same entrances. They get to see notice board. They get to know what's happening more in the community. Has this driven a sense of, I'd hate to say kumbaya, but has it driven a sense of closeness within the community where people are now more willing to walk in the streets, more willing to make use of the public amenities such as the parks, etc.? It really has. If you look at Elmer Park, go back 10 years and uh, the streets, and if you look at them now, now you've got families uh, walking the streets, you've got uh, kids on bicycles, the park's well utilized. It's really, uh, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fantastic sense of community within Elmer Park. Be- the, the WhatsApp group, there's, there's two groups, there's one for the security and then one for uh, community. Community is very active in terms of asking advice something the community definitely has, has started bonding and it's 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 done a it's done a lot for the community it really really has and you'll see the sense of pride the entrance now we've got that beautiful garden on the left hand side um, it just adds a lot of value properties are definitely up a minimum 30 percent in the area so adrian how do you go about ensuring that the the prerequisite two-third of the specific number is achieved do you do it via these groups that have been created? Do you do it road by road? What's going to be the final drive to get the support of the community? Well, to be honest with you, there's, uh, I think Ellie or uh, Brian will be better positioned, but let me put it to, this, to you this way. We've used, we have a Telegram group. We have a Facebook uh, section. We've been pushing it on, on the social media as far as possible. We've been speaking to people. Um, the ultimate decision, uh, well, I suppose going on radio does help, but the ultimate decision was to go and use street captains and literally go knocking door by door uh, and identifying the, you know, what, what the problems are or potential problems are, what the um, level of support we can raise. And that's, uh, I think that's the way we're going to be doing it. I must say it's, it's, it's a pleasure sitting, talking about something community orientated because when one sees people taking control of a community, one sees it happening in other communities and it becomes something of a sense of pride. We want to be like that community. We want to feel safe, secure. We want to be more community orientated. We want to know who our neighbors are. We want to know who, who, who lives in our streets. We've seen at, at localized level within the townships, they have street watches, street patrols. They have block watches. They have community involvement. And we're seeing more and more this need for communities to come together because you can't fight crime without the support of a community. And I think our interaction, funny enough, with the uh, members of the Alexandra, I think it's East Bank, uh, as part of, this, of the com- com- Community Policing Forum, has given us a lot of ideas too. I mean, they have real, real 
problems that we can only dream of, or nightmares that we can only dream of. And it's a good thing to try and see how they, the, the methods that they've used, which some, a lot of them haven't, have actually not materialized or not been successful. And that certainly helps us to, to galvanize a community action in a more focused way. Brian's going to be leaving us. He has other arrangements. We're going to be joined um, after the half-past mark by um, Sean Jammy and Brian Nathan, and they're going to be bringing us up to speed on the logistics of where we are. So thank you so much for joining us, Adrian Chiga. And um, we will be giving out the contact details to our listeners about this community initiative. Thank you. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Today we're chatting about the all-important subject of community safety, making sure that our loved ones are kept safe, those that are close to us are kept safe, our belongings are kept safe. It's something that um, gets discussed virtually at every single dinner table in South Africa, and that's the state of crime. There's not much we can do at the top about fraud and corruption. That's been sorted out by the likes of commissions and uh, the independent directorate for investigating at the MPA. But what we can do is take care of our communities and something that has been lacking. The more the crime came about, the higher the walls went, the electric fences were installed, the spotlights came in, the cameras came in, and we had less and less to do with our neighbors and less to less to do with our communities. And strangely enough, it's having something to do with your community, it's having something to do with your neighbors that can contribute to bringing crime down. Joining our panel now is Sean Jamie from CAP, and he's gonna be filling us in about CAP's role in this latest venture that the Sydenham Sandringham residents have to bring about an enclosed community. Sean? Chad, thanks for having me. Um, it's so nice to be to be part of this initiative. I started off in security as, uh, as uh, a resident in Sydenham that had been the victim of crime. And, and that's how CAP was formed. Uh, myself and Brian, who's now, I think it's taken Brian about 15 years to talk to me again. It was such an intense time. But uh, we, 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 we were part of uh, the volunteer network that started CAP off. And uh, as crime has evolved and CAP has evolved, um, you know, CAP remains a nonprofit. It remains really fundamentally just a way for communities to get together and put the best possible security in place. So, so as that's evolved and uh, road closures have become more and more a viable mechanism to deal with certain of the crime in the area. Um, we found that uh, while violent crime, contact crime, thank God, um, is very low in most CAP areas, petty crime, which is largely affected by people's ability to secure their properties, um, walls, alarms, uh, electric fences, all of that type of thing, Petty crime ebbs and flows, and, and what, what Adrian Chiga mentioned earlier about the effect of lockdown, the effect of movement having been restricted, really demonstrated to us that some mechanism to, to not restrict movement, because I think that's very important. Um, we, we don't aim to restrict movement. We don't aim to say you can't come in here, and in fact, we can't do that. Okay? Legally, we have to let everybody in, okay? and legally, we have to make as many facilitations as possible. For example, wheelchairs need to be able to fit through pedestrian entrances is a, is a good example of the extent to, uh, to which facilitations need to be made. But yeah, uh, the idea is to create choke points within, w w into the environment 
not impacting traffic, um, and indeed trying to, to keep traffic on major roads. You know, what's quite interesting here is that the JRA, in our, in our various discussions with them, have said to us, you know, we're quite happy for, for rat running, as it's called, to be stopped because traffic needs to be on major roads that are constructed to be able to handle that traffic. So, so they really don't have an issue with people that are looking to traverse suburbs to be, you know, stuck onto the main roads. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I do see this as a as a win-win. As but you know, cap security angle, um, we see a significant decrease in soft crime within within road closures. Uh, we see significant advantages uh, in terms of security. But it's just nice, you know, like, like, like security is often seen as a grudge purchase. What's pretty cool here is all of the ancillary benefits, you know, is the fact you are creating a, a space which is just lacquer to live. And, and, and that's really one of our objectives as well. Brian Nathan, you're an EXCO member of the Sydenham Stadium Residents Association. You're one of the drivers of this project. Let us know what's been done up until now and what we can see going forward and give us, I know it's difficult, but give us somewhat of a timeline of what we can expect. So again, thanks for the opportunity to discuss this project and, and hopefully we get, we get some more uh, consent forms out of it. I think that's, that's our biggest drive at the moment. No process or anything can happen until we've got that, that uh, two-thirds majority um, and that's really where we're going to focus. Um, as you heard earlier from Adrian, we're now going to the streets and the door-to-door, so we think we've, we've got as much of the social media done. Um, we've got those consents that have come in, and now it's really, as Sean mentioned, back to the streets and back to engaging with our neighbours, which is also you know, quite a lecker experience and just to meet the people around your suburb. So I think that's, that's going to be our next big block to tick, and then kind of the rest will happen. Um, there, there's a complete... Um, plan in place it's the road it's the sean you can help me if i've got this wrong but it's kind of the the impact study um and then kind of you know kind of up with budgets and discussions around that but our biggest thing before we can even get to the starting blocks is this you know this this two-thirds majority because without it you know we, we can't go any 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 more forward um, than we are so yeah back to the streets and and getting to engage with our neighbors so, Phil, if you could quickly fill us in on the cost implications for residents, how many percentage-wise of your residents actually contribute okay. towards this entire project that you have in Alma Park? Okay, that, that, this is the, the, the main component of this. This can either make or break a closure. And it doesn't matter if it's a big closure or a small closure. There's always a capex component. You need to capitalize the closure in terms of getting up your security, your booms, uh, and then you need a solid budget in place to to, to cover the monthly costs of maintaining that uh, closure. You want to also do it in such a way that you don't, you're not hitting poor residents with increases on, a, on an annual basis. In, in Parker hasn't had an increase for four years, five years now, um, because it's well managed. Uh, service providers do come to the party and assist, but that is the major component. Then, if you've only got 60% of your people or 66% who are capitalizing this, uh, uh, you know, more of a burden is put on them in terms of, of the amount that they have to pay. Furthermore, if not everybody's paying to the subscription, the subscribers who are actually paying are actually paying more. So you've, that's why it's best. You'll never get 100% buy-in, but uh, we are currently sitting, and I think it's just under 80%, so we're hitting the 80-20 uh, concept. 
there are subscribers who still don't subscribe, but they can see the value. And I don't know for what reason they wouldn't want to do that. Probably not community-driven type people, but that just happens. And it's your your Pareto's law, unfortunately, the eighty twenty. When we come back, I want to chat a little bit to Sean about the legislation that impacts on this. You're listening to Confidential Brief. You're listening to the Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. Thanks for staying tuned to Chai FM, broadcasting live in Johannesburg on 101.9 FM and going worldwide via the internet on chaifm.com. Very important discussion today, and that is community-based initiatives to secure communities, to secure those that are our, our loved ones. Sean Jamie from CAP has joined us, and I want to chat to him more about the legislation, specifically from a local government perspective, because I know that at the moment you have... A, a similar project that you've inherited on the East Rand, which is Ukruleni. This is now a project you're looking at in Johannesburg. Tell us a little bit about the legislation that drives these these road closures. Is it provincial or does it come down to the two local governments? Yeah. I mean, in fact, Chad, we, we, we started our road closure division about three, four years ago, and we currently look after about 20 road closures, including um, Savoy and Waverley actually is our first mega road closure, and that's a little bit ahead in the process. So there we've got the consents, and we're, we're hoping to be able to, to erect the road closure within the next three to six months. So, uh, okay, the, the, the legislation is, is clear on two things. You cannot restrict freedom of movement. Okay, you can divert people, but you can never not let them come in. And uh, you, you, you have to make the whole scheme as inclusive as possible. So step one is to get this two-thirds of the majority of residents that agree. That's the consent process, which is, which is really important. And that's probably the toughest task. Okay. From there, we assess traffic together with traffic engineers. We compile a application which goes through to the Joburg Roads Agency. And then we attend what's called a Section 45-2 hearing where the Joburg Roads Agency, together with all the other law enforcement divisions, SAPS has got someone there, Metro has got someone there, where any um, objections are heard okay or any immediate objections are heard and it's uh, it's uh, up to us to present that this this enclosure is indeed legal and consistent with the bylaws in this regard finally it's advertised there's another opportunity for people to give ab- object objections which uh, we need to address and then we'll we'll get our, our interim approval and then our final approval hopefully it's less difficult than people think it is. Uh, it's one of these things. It's like you know, for me, for me, there, there's certain administrative tasks that just evade me. But other people say, ah, oh, it's easy. You know, like licensing your car. You just do that, that, and that. I, I pay pay the nice guy in Grant Avenue a couple of rand to go and do it for me. And and but it, uh, th- this is one of those things. Is that if you know what you're doing, um, the really difficult part is this two-thirds majority. Um, we can make it affordable because we've got so many people sharing the cost burden here. Mm-hmm. We can make it reliable. There's so many. There's so many advantages. Okay, um, but we need to get this uh, this this uh, consent consent process over with. A couple of things I took away there. Firstly, well done on Savoy Waverley being at an advanced stage, um, and it shows that you you are very au fait in this. I concur. Um, certain things people need to be 
fluent in, in respect of, of administrative processes, um, which is why I'm in a specific field, because people find it very difficult to, to go through the navigation of the criminal justice system. But something I want to bring up with, with Brian, and that is the, the other stakeholders. We're talking about residents primarily here, and I understand the role they play. What about the stakeholders of the hospitals, the schools? What say do they have? What impact do they have? Or do they count as a household? So I think within our area, it's schools. Um, and I think it's, it's actually one household. So it would be considered one, one plot and one household. So our, our um, plan is to engage with the principals, understand their concerns, and then build that into our plan. So that, you know, th that access is taken care of during, during the hours that it needs to be taken care of. So it is part of our plan to engage with, with them and understand what, what they need from the, the traffic uh, process. So, Eli, from a family perspective, um, it's, it's great to say we want to take people out for walks, etc. I'm looking at our area, and when we posted this to social media, we were having this chat, I saw we've got a, an incredible natural boundary. We have the golf course that, that, that follows a large portion of, of our suburb. Is it important for you to bring back that lifestyle where you have the families walking, where you have this all-inclusiveness, is that one of the primary driving factors behind this? Absolutely. As a father of young children, um, you know, let's just take 13th Avenue as an example in Sydenham. 13th Avenue used to be a great place. I don't know if, you, if anyone had the pleasure of going through 13th Avenue during lockdown. It was absolutely unbelievable to see what was happening between 6 and 9. Kids were riding their bikes. Young people, old people, all out there, they were walking. There was such a sense of pride about being in your community, outside, um, getting fresh air, exercising, you know, all of those benefits. Unfortunately, you know, that, you know, we've gone back to, to the real world now. Um, and 13th Avenue is, again, a race course. There's absolutely no way your child can go and ride a bicycle down that road. Um, and this kind of initiative would fundamentally change that. It would bring people back into the streets. Um, way back when we used to do the cap runs, I don't know if people remember that, and it was incredible to see at 8 o'clock on a Saturday night, literally hundreds of people descending into the streets, feeling safe and being able to get out there. So absolutely, Chad. Well, I'm going to come back to Sean about that. Let's hope we get those going again soon. But going to you, Phil, what is the, the major issues that you've un unpacked over the years that you've now had this area? You've, you've enclosed it, you've put in the booms, you've got the buy-in from the community. You mentioned there's still small opportunistic crimes. What was the biggest sacrifice that community members had to make, apart from the fact that they would have to dig into their pocket, pockets for the capex and the sustainability of the project? The biggest sacrifice, basically, is the pause of the boom. Otherwise, nothing else. Um, everything's taken care of. Your, your parks, we have a gathering once a quarter in the park safely parents can drop off their children at school safely without a problem um because they come through into the into the uh through the closure and drop them off at the schools and at the park uh we've got shanahan park where there's a lot of function so there's been no real nobody can actually complain that they've ever um been told they can't do something or or, or restrictive or anything and we really encourage community involvement and, and ideas, and there are lots of ideas coming out. So it just it adds a new breath to the, to the closure. 
So, Brian, we, we, going to social media, um, Marco writes, I've seen road closures restricting freedom of movement. For example, domestics and people who don't own cars need to walk extra kilometers because roads are closed. That's a, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's an observation from somebody. What is the reality on the ground? So I'd like to pass it over to two experts in the field who have done this before in another area because, you know, to me, I can't answer that. But I mean, I think there are. Sorry, I'm going to let them answer uh, they're, that They're question. pedestrian entrances. So there will be a pedestrian entrance at every street. And uh, those will we'll probably apply to have them closed at night. Okay. Um, but, but I think, and that's also one of the fundamentals of CAP, is these helpers in our home, they're as important as we are. So, you know, this is there to secure everybody in the suburb. It's an inclusive initiative. It's not for the, the big landowners. It's for everyone that walks in the suburb, etc. But, yeah, the pedestrian entrances make sure that there's freedom of movement. We're going to hear from our advertisers. When we come back, I'm going to give our, our panel that uh, opportunity just to, to punt why it's so important for us to get these signatures on those dotted lines. And of course, we're going to be asking Sean about those cap runs and when we can expect one um, in the very near future. We'll be back straight after this. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. You're listening to The Confidential Brief. My name is Chad Thomas. First time we've had such a full studio in a long time. First time I've had so many people. And it it is incredible getting this energy. Um, COVID has deprived us of so very much. It's weird interacting with people. It's weird seeing people, you know, in such close proximity. So so thank you, everybody, for joining us today. And for the listeners out there, I really hope you took cognizance of what we chatted about. And we are going to upload the podcast to all of our social media pages. Um, and there will, of course, be repeats during the show. And you can find a recording on the website should you want to share it with friends or family so they can understand what this is all about. In closing, I'm going to give each of our, our panelists the opportunity to just um, tell us why they believe there's there's a benefit to this. And I think it's best to start with with, with Phil Opperman from IPACA because he's lived it. He's been through this since 2008. His community now have an enclosure. They have access control. And he can best describe to us what this has done for them as a community. Thanks, Jed. To sum it up, I would say it's, it's really, really worth it. And uh, that's the feedback we get from our community. Um, very important that you have the right committee running your, your community. Uh, your SOPs are in, in, in place in terms of what happens at w- what times. Because you don't just have crime, you've got fires, you've got emer- uh, medical emergencies and so on. But once you've, you've stabilized that and got your SOPs in place and the community feels safe walking in the areas, um, it really builds good community and it really does increase the value of the properties in those areas Sean? without restricting people. From CAP? Yeah, we're convinced that this is yet another element that we can put in place to keep making our community safe. And uh, we encourage everyone to participate in it. It's not a, it's not a silver bullet. It's not a, a sudden way that, you know, you, you, you're going to eradicate all crime. But it's a very worthwhile initiative. And we look forward to, to receiving the same sort of support that we always have. And to our residents who are actually driving this, who are in the hot seat, um, Brian and then Eli, why is it so important for you? And why should the community be taking cognizance of this and signing that consent form? So I think it's a brilliant question. I think the, the reason that, that we're passionate about it is that we're both family men. 
and it's it's our family and and to get back to some kind of some kind of normality of experiencing our our day-to-day -day lives being in our streets feeling secure um, and maybe not having as as ellie says you know kind of cars screaming down intersections um, and really bringing back that community um, feeling to 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 our to our new way of life i think just one of the things that uh, Ellie said up front was there's been a lot of times that this has been discussed but it hasn't been taken through and I think that's why we engaged with CAP who's who's our you know the, the current um, security in our area and having as, as Sean said having gone and done it from street to street and seen the success that that's had on our on our community I think has just made our process uh, a whole lot easier they, they understand what needs to be done and they've given us incredible guidance and we meet regularly to go through it and, you know, I really do believe, you know, we, we're going to have an incredible suburb and we're going to be, you know, doing, it's not just about the closer. It's about all those nice and add-ons that we can bring as we get this done and, and bring it back to a, a lacquer community to live in. Eh? Mm -hmm. And it still is a lacquer community, but it will just be a little bit more lacquer. <laughs> Eli? Thanks. Um, just to reiterate again what Brian said, I'm saying absolutely everything that Brian is, has said now is, is the fundamental reason why we embarked on this. Um, but one of the biggest things for the residents to take cognizant of is the, you know, the partnership between the Residents Association at CAP. We've tried before, it didn't work. One of the only ways we are able to get to where we are now is due to the participation um, and the huge amount of effort that CAP is putting behind the scenes with us to get this off the ground. If we try to do this as independent individuals, it's like herding cats to try to get 1,200 people to agree on anything in a suburb of our size. So that would be my closing remark is please take advantage of this while we have it. So for me, something very interesting happened. I, I bought property with my wife in Victoria Road in Sandringham. So that's the first caveat of the show. I need to declare that I live in Sandringham. <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm very pro the road closure. So the caveat is I live, in, I live in Victoria Road. I moved to Sandringham last year. But what was very embarrassing for me is I only got to know my neighbors when I needed them to sign on a um, plan because I planned on doing alterations to, to one of the structures on my property. And I didn't know I had six neighbors that boarded my property. I, I was completely amazed. And I went and I had to literally knock on different doors, buzz gates. And it's difficult. The security, you don't get to know who your neighbors are, generally speaking. And I got to meet six incredibly different families, six incredibly different types of people. And for me, I don't want to have to meet these people simply because I need them to sign off on plans. I want to be able to see my neighbors. I want to be able to look across and walk in the roads and be with them. So that was one hell of a wake-up call for me. In closing, Eli, if you could just give us the details of where the residents can find out more about this. And we will, of course, be posting this to all of our social media pages. Uh, so... Uh, we've got two different email addresses that if people have any queries they, they can contact us on. The first is roadclosures at capcommunity.co.za and the second one is srajresidence.feedback at gmail.com. Eli, Brian, um, Sean Jamie and of course Philip Opperman from Epaca, thank you so much for joining us today. We'll be back next time with uh, more on, on fraud and corruption in South Africa. Today was localized and you can make that difference and perhaps other communities can learn from us.